0: It's the Kyle Hyman Show on Redeemer Radio. Today is March third, two thousand twenty. This is episode eight hundred and fifty-five. I'm Kyle Hyman here with Dr. Lewis Pearson, the associate professor of philosophy at University of Saint Francis. Welcome back to the show, Dr. Pearson. Thanks for having me again, Kyle. It's always good to have you and uh, supporting. A new facial styling today.
1: Yeah, I, so my wife likes the beard. Uh-huh. I, be- I grow the beard for winter, okay. and it slowly melts off as the spring comes. <laughs> so I'm down to my <laughs> my Freddie Mercury, <laughs> yes. mustache. Yeah. yeah, is this an annual thing? Uh, almost every year. Yeah, this... yeah. Also, we we almost always have a new baby uh-huh. <laughs> almost every year. So I also start to learn how much the baby recognizes me as the beard disappears. Oh, yeah. So we have a five month old right now. Like. Does it change? Like, who's this man that
0: doesn't have a beard now?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, I've read that babies recognize stark contrasts. So, like, the difference between the forehead and the hair, uh-huh. you know, and they look at those limits and those boundaries. And so the beard, I've got black hair, it really makes a big contrast. Yeah. And as that goes away, there's less for her to pull on uh-huh. <laughs> for one thing. But right. Yeah,
0: yeah. All right. Well, yeah. I, I like it. I, and I like change. Uh-huh. I used to do a, a thing where I'd grow out the beard really big, and then I'd be at camp, uh-huh. and we'd do shave the day. And every day, just shave <laughs> off it a little bit more. Yeah. And, you know, just try different things. Experiment. Yeah. 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 I, I look pretty ridiculous in a mustache. You, you look really great.
1: I appreciate it. Yeah. I mean, a beard, you have to get, you, you get used to it because it has to grow. But uh-huh. a mustache is just, bam, it's right there if you're shaving down to it. So I have to learn some confidence and actually stick with it because yeah. I'm not used to it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, would you mind opening us up in prayer? Sure. This is a prayer from a book called Daily Companion for Caregivers for March 3rd. Okay. Start with a little quote, reflection, and then our prayer. This is from Lindsay Schlegel, mother and author. To be a mom means expecting the unexpected on a daily basis. Here's her reflection. Mm -hmm. When we're young, we live with the illusion that we can be in control of everything. Without a spouse and children, we can schedule our day in life with some assuredness that we can do it all. When children arrive, we know for certain that we are not in control. See the unexpected as God's reminder that He is in control and be open to what each day brings. And so here is our prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord, remind me that you are with me when my plans go awry and I get flustered. Amen. Amen. Holy Spirit, amen. It's a nice short one. It is, yeah. Yeah, good. And I think it's relevant because I'm going to be talking about my reversion to the faith today. Yes. And I think many people, myself included, when we had to talk about ourselves, it's very easy to go awry and get flustered. So I think it was providential that was a prayer for the day. Well,
0: and I haven't heard your story, so I'm excited to hear it. Yeah. Before we get into that, though, let's do some tribond. For people listening, yesterday our tribond was a phone, a door, a survey, and the answer we're looking for is things you answer. Oh. <laughs> answer the door. I'm,
1: yeah, I'm always thinking of answer. the pun answer, like oh, like Steadicam and Rock Steady, or you know, uh-huh. but yeah. Anyway. <laughs> Yeah, that should have been obvious. All right. <laughs> All right. Today's tribe on, this is one you came up with. So I did, maybe yeah. that's a hint
0: that you came up with this. So today's tribe on, a soldier, a builder, a bard. A bard. What is a bard?
1: Uh, like a minstrel, a singer. Oh,
0: okay. Yeah. Like, I, I think I was thinking of barge. Oh, yeah. Those are very different. <laughs> yeah. Like Justin Bieber. Okay. He's a bard <laughs> only. Who also has a mustache. He, he, yes. He, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Email show at redeemer Radio.com. with your answers. You can text us on the Holy Cross college text line 260-436-9598. Again, it is a soldier, a builder, a bard. Send your answers. Win a prize. And while you're doing that, we have a little bit of time to maybe give a, a little bit of a, a look into your reversion. We
1: won't have time to tell the whole story, but yeah. it, how long is the whole story? Well, we'll find out today. Okay. <laughs> it's less than an hour. Okay. <laughs> all right? That's the short answer uh, because that's as long as your show is. So no, born and raised Catholic? Uh, no, actually. No, okay. I mean, the, the short version is I am what you might call a quasi-cradle Catholic. Okay. I asked to be baptized when I was five or six. Oh. I asked to go to Catholic school. Huh. Raised by a single mom who was not a Christian. And so I got the faith and I got weekly mass at school. But I didn't practice my faith, even from a young age, as a child, up until young adulthood. What made you ask in the first place? I wanted to be like my dad. I heard my dad was Catholic, and he went to the cathedral school. I was raised in Memphis, Tennessee. Mm -hmm. Their cathedral is also the Cathedral of the Immaculate Conception. So I wanted to go to that school, not the Catholic school next to our house. Uh So my mom actually would drive me there. But that's how it started. I just wanted to be like my dad. I heard he went there. I heard that's what he did. Yeah. So you didn't know your dad growing up? So, the divorced when I was, I'd say four or five, but mm-hmm. I didn't know that until I was 13. They lived in different places. Uh-huh. And, you know, kids, they don't know their life is different from other people's. But, yeah, so I, I saw him until I was about five, and then I'd see him, you know, summers and Christmas. And so he was in my life, but okay. mainly raised by my mom, yeah.
0: Okay. Yeah. Because the way you say it is like
1: somebody told you about your dad. That's a lot of it, yeah. I mean, one of the challenges I think I'm going to have is keeping the fourth commandment. I really. When you tell a a witness story, Mm. other people are involved. Sure. And sometimes they don't come across well. So I want to make sure this not only redounds to God's glory, but also honors my parents as best I can. So I'm pretty sure people won't think badly of, you know. But yeah, I think in telling a story like this, Alex Gilton recently was on your show. Yeah. Gave his his conversion story. I love conversion stories. Yeah. You know, and it's hard to tell them because when we start talking about ourselves, it just feels too self-absorbed. But I had to remind myself, one, I love stories. I love The Journey Home. I watched Marcus Grotei's show a lot on uh-huh. ESO uh, Augustine, he's one of my spiritual big brothers. St. Augustine, yeah. His confessions, uh-huh. it's just his, his conversion story, basically. And I had to remember, actually, it's the peace prayer of St. Francis. It's not about me, right? Make me a channel of your peace. Mm-hmm. I'm the channel. I'm the conduit, and it's about God. So when I remember things like that, it helps me calm down and, and realize when I tell stories like this even though it feels like I'm being self-absorbed, I like to hear other people's stories because it's about that person, but it's also about God. And hopefully that's what we can get today. But yeah, it's gonna be how I kinda not really got the faith as a young person, uh, but really found my faith as a young adult at the tail end of college.
0: All right, well, I can't wait to hear more. And we'll have that coming up right here on the Kyle Hyman Show on Redeemer Radio. Hey, thanks for listening to this show. Just a reminder that you can follow us on social media. We are at Kyle Hyman Show on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. And also, if you do follow us over there on YouTube, we have playlists for different segments of the show that you might like to follow. So check it out, youtube.com slash Kyle Hyman Show. This is Kyle Hyman. I'm here with Dr. Louis Pearson from the University of St. Francis. I'm not talking about philosophy today. Will it come up at some point? Oh, it's it, got to come up. I'm okay. a philosopher, yeah. Okay,
1: good. <laughs> I mean, actually, let's bring it up right now. Okay. I'm reading uh, Art and Scholasticism by Jacques Maritain for my philosophy of art and beauty class this morning. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And in chapter eight, chapter nine, I think it was, chapter eight, he talks about Christian art. Okay. And there's a paragraph in it, and he says, to do Christian art first, be a Christian Mm -hmm. and then do art. And his point in that chapter is basically, there can be didactic art where you're giving a lesson, like an Aesop's fable. It's Mm -hmm. about this thing, like a a children's book about Noah's Ark or the 10 commandments. But you look at Michelangelo's Pieta, his sculpture of Mary holding our crucified Lord dead, her son in her lap. Mm -hmm. You don't look at that and say, now the moral of this statue is, right? It's, You can get lessons by looking at it, but it's not didactic art. It's not on the nose like that. Uh, And so Maritain's point is if you understand God and his creation as a Catholic and you get that worldview, when you start to make art, you can start to imitate being in God's image as a creator, being uh, a creator on the microcosmic level, doing something like that, right? Hmm. And so you first have to be a Christian and then you can do art. So, yeah. Yeah. I'm not necessarily gonna talk about philosophy as such, although I suppose I just did. But I think when you are a thing, a Catholic, a philosopher, uh, it's the foundation from which everything else flows when you speak. So yeah, philosophy is gonna, I mean, it already showed up, right? Uh,
0: Yeah, sure. Okay, so we're talking about your reversion to Catholicism, which I just assumed whenever you say a revert that you started as a Catholic and then drifted away and then came back and reverted to Catholicism. But not born Catholic, and you said, was it five years old that you, yeah, yeah, went to Catholic school, you asked to go to Catholic school, asked to be baptized, and your mom obliged, yeah, what, so what happened next?
1: Well, to give a little bit of that story, my mother is from Okinawa japan i'm I'm half Japanese, half Okinawa I mean, it's a different ethnicity, a different language, really, but oh, okay, uh, these days it's Japanese. she's not anything in terms of a Christian. she doesn't mm-hmm. practice a religion sociologists call what they do, ancestor worship, but it's not really, it's like the communion of saints. They believe there's a God above all, like a transcendent God, like Yahweh, Uh and that there are angels and demons. And that when we die, we go with this God. If, you know, there's this family, those are the ancestors that they pray to. I mean, it's very Catholic in that sense. Sure, There's a moral code, it's all connected. So I see it as one of those places where God had written the law on our hearts And Christianity, like Francis Xavier, was going to eventually show up to baptize that law. Right. Uh, But that's my mother's background. So she wasn't raised a Christian. Mm -hmm. In fact, she had a chip on her shoulder against the Catholic Church. This is going to show up later in my life. Okay. She's born in 1940. Uh And um, when she was five years old, so at the end of the war, she's in Okinawa. And more people died in the island warfare of Okinawa, the hand-to-hand combat, than died in the two bombs that dropped on the mainland of Japan. Oh, wow. So hundreds of thousands of people have died. And she's five years old. Her, her father, I think he's already passed away. And she meets a Catholic priest who's there on mission after the war, basically, right? At its tail end. I mean, after it's all wrapped up. And all she sees is someone who's well-dressed, who doesn't seem to do anything. Like he's not a factory worker, you know? Mm-hmm. Who's there to say nice things. And so I think she said to me a long time ago, she asked him, why do bad things happen to innocent people. Yeah. So she asked him like one of the most difficult questions in the history of philosophy, Uh right? The problem of evil. (laughs) Right. In a world made by a good God, why does he permit such things? Sure. And um, I remember I asked the same question when I was in second grade. And the answer I got was basically a pat on the head. Mm. I think part of it is we don't take seriously that children can know more than we think that they can know, that their curiosity really is earnest. Mm -hmm. And when we don't answer to satisfaction, it doesn't mean the question has gone away. It just has gone underground.
0: Right. Or they assume that there's no good answer to it. Then God doesn't exist because they haven't heard an answer for the it. The
1: child. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so in my mother's case, she's dealing with a language barrier. She's dealing with the end of World War II. Mm-hmm. I can only imagine God helped the priest who was trying to talk to her. Yeah. Right. So she had a picture of the Catholic Church of being this thing that just sits back and gets donations from people and does nothing and says nice things to people suffering. Right. And I think the witness in our lives has helped to mitigate that picture. But when I started discerning a priestly vocation later in life, eventually I discerned marriage, but mm-hmm. she was not happy with that picture. Yeah. But that's, that's uh, my mother. My father, he was raised Catholic, kind of. Vatican II happened in the middle of their childhood. My grandmother was Methodist. They were in Arkansas. And uh, my dad and aunt and uncles were all in public school when they got to a history section. And the chapter said something like, at this point in history, there's a man who was said to have been Jesus or something very hypothetical uh-huh. and, and contingent. And, and grandma said, no, I got to pull him out of the school. And so she looked for the cheapest Christian option, and it was the Catholic school system. Uh-huh. And so she read up on Catholic theology, and she thought, as a Methodist, I can comfortably take my kids here. And not long after, she converted, and she brought the whole family in with her. Okay. So my dad got the sacraments of initiation and got a sort of a halfway training in the faith. But by the time I know him, I'm like, we, we, we never went to church together, Uh not even Christmas, Easter. So I I didn't know what it looked like to have a practicing family unit even before the divorce. Mm -hmm. All of my formation came from school. Mm -hmm. So I think one of the things we look at when we send our kids to Catholic school is we want that kind of formation. And it is for kids like me. Yeah. Yeah. So were you going to mass on Sundays? No. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, A friend of mine, he went to, uh, it's uh, called... I know the traditional name is African Methodist Episcopal, but that became Uh non-PC, so they changed it to, I think, Anglican uh, Methodist but a historically black church in the South. Yeah. And so I'd go to his church when I spent the night at his house, my best friend, you know, in grade school. Their services would last like five hours. Mm -hmm. Their ushers would be there to, (laughs) you know, swat kids like me on the head to wake us up. Uh (laughs) So it's really a community. You're there all day. Yeah. Yeah. But I didn't really go to church. I knew I should be going to church. Was it a lively service though? I suppose it was. I mean, kind of a yeah. A lot going on. Yeah. But I mean, there's a lot of sermonizing. Uh-huh. And I, you know, I'm a kid. Right. I have a hard time as an adult. I, you got to grow those mature bones to listen, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, when I was five, yeah, I, I asked to be baptized. So I came into the church and Father Davis, then Monsignor Davis, now passed away. He baptized me. And I got all the formation, all all the sacraments of initiation. I got Eucharist. I got reconciliation. All those things. And I knew who God was. And I started discerning a priestly vocation in the first grade. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> And yet, my story, I think, is going to turn out in many ways to be St. Augustine's story, St. Augustine of Hippo, uh-huh. uh, three to 400 AD. If people don't know who he is, please pick up his confessions. They're just a wonderful read. He's known for his book, The City of God. Mm-hmm. I love his book on Christian doctrine. Just, he's written so many uh, amazing books, a doctor of the church because of his great teaching. But his story was he wanted worldly success.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: He loved knowing things, knowledge, just uh-huh. wanted to know what's true. And he loved women.
0: Right.
1: I fell into the same pitch that Augustine fell into. Uh-huh. So, Augustine, uh, one of these lines that's kind of a paraphrase from the Confessions is Give me constancy and chastity, but not yet. Right. Right. In other words, I know it's good for me. Right. I know how I should live, but I love my sin so much. I don't want to change who I am. I have to change who I am to be the man that I, I see, the new man in Christ. But I love the old man. I don't want to put him off yet. And so, um, I like my morning cartoons. Right? Uh, it's cartoons as a kid. It becomes different things as I grow older. But yeah, I know I should go. Cartoons be going th- don't th- sound sinful. No, no. No, so they're morally inert, right? As such. Uh-huh. But all things in life, so this is working on some distinctions like Thomas Aquinas makes in the Summa theology. Like playing golf, in as uh, far as playing golf goes, is neither morally good or nor morally bad
0: uh-huh.
1: in itself. Right. But if I'm playing golf when I told my wife I'd be watching the kids, right, right. It's a problem, right? Cartoons are fine insofar as they go. But if I'm doing that, and that's what's making me not ask my mom to take me to church. Right. It's a problem. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, again, this also um, highlights the need for a family, a community. You're going to rely on a six-year-old, a seven-year-old, and and his moral formation and fortitude to overcome his, in the moment, cotton candy desires to go to mass. It happens. I didn't have that fortitude at that time. All right, so
0: you're going to Catholic school, not going to mass on Sunday because you're a kid, first of all, mm-hmm. and you're not pressuring your mom into taking you, but you're discerning the priesthood yeah. as a first grader.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Father Davis. So we'd have a spelling test or something, or uh-huh. getting ready for our lesson, math. Hold on, Father Davis is here. So he'd come in, he'd tell us his funny story about Jesus or something, great jovial man. Uh-huh. And uh, then he'd leave. And I thought, I want to do that. I oh, want to yeah. show up and like, <laughs> you know, make people laugh. Yeah. Like I wanted to be a comedian too growing up. Uh-huh. And then and I want to oh, leave. that's interesting. And, yeah. And then I want to leave. But he was a great witness as a priest because he was so joyful. Uh-huh. And I saw him every Wednesday. We had Wednesday was our day for going to mass. In the morning, we'd, we'd have a different schedule every Wednesday for, you know, mass at 8 a.m. And then we'd have the rest of the of, of school for the, for the day. Right. Uh, but he was the first priest I ever saw. He's the priest who baptized me. And I learned years later, he's the priest that brought my family in. Hmm. So, my grandmother—he's the one that brought my grandmother in. My grandfather was uh, is very physically abusive, um, violently so to the point that when they were being counseled, basically RCIA, he said, "All right, the only condition I'm going to put on you guys coming into the faith is that you have a year's marital counseling with me." Hmm. And so they went through it. And after that year, he told my mother, uh, my my grandmother, to get a civil divorce to protect her and the kids yeah. from possible death. Right. Again making this distinction between the fact that they were sacramentally married, uh, they recognized their Methodist marriage. Mm-hmm. Uh, and grandma recognized that to the day she died, she had to simply divorce a man that she couldn't live with yeah. for his own sake and for the sake of the, the safety of the family. Right. So it's the same father who brought our family in, who counseled my grandmother, who protected my father and aunt and uncles who then gave me, when I eventually discerned marriage, the best letter we ever got. Everyone's like, oh, it's great to be married. Congratulations, it's nice. And he wrote a letter saying marriage is hard. Yeah. It takes work. And so, um, yeah, he's- How did this one priest follow through the generations? Because usually priests it is is providence. It is providence. Huh. Yeah, I have no idea. It's not earthly, right? But he's (laughs) the reason in first grade I start discerning because I see this jovial man. But I, I give this backstory because- I think part of what you've already started noticing is my story is a family story, and so many of our stories. And I, I help with RCIa often. They're family stories. Why are you here? A boyfriend, a girlfriend, my kids, a mom. We bring our families with us wherever we go, and these these aren't things to just run away from or cut off. They matter. Right. And so digging into these things isn't unearthing things in an unhealthy way. I mean, there can be a kind of you know perverse way we go about this, and we we just hold all this baggage we can't let go of. Uh, but a lot of times you can move forward when you see how the family supports you or how it doesn't support you. And you, get, you need to actually ask the family to step up their game. Yeah. So he's the one who made me think maybe I want to be a priest, but it was his joy, his demeanor. I find out decades later, he's been shepherding our family this whole time. Hmm. And also it was the catechesis in school. I mean, there's a lot of weak catechesis. I grew up in the eighties and nineties. I did not get a lot of the truths of the faith, which will come out when I get to later on in the story. But what I did get was a very clear sense of right and wrong of the fact that the priestly call is the higher call, that these are men of God mm-hmm. and this is God's church and the sacraments are real and they do change us. So I got all that. And when you see a, an excellent thing, of course you want that excellent thing, right? Um,
0: Especially if you haven't seen family life modeled well. Mm, yeah. And so you see a, a good priest and you see a struggling family life of a struggling marriage. Yeah. A broken marriage.
1: Yeah. Uh, but I didn't see that. I mean, my parents never fought. Hmm. Um, so I just thought- but they also know, didn't live together. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. There's pain from seeing dad come and go and yeah. you know, holding onto his legs, not wanting to let him go because mm. he's here for the weekend and he's gone, but I don't want him to leave. There, there's that kind of pain. But I never saw the strife between them. That's just the pain of living in a world where you don't live with your dad. Right. Right. But you know what doctors- and nurses and firemen and garbage men are because they have uniforms <laughs> right because you can say what they do in a sentence yeah priests were like that yeah. right they have a collar you can see what they do and all these things you see that looks fun to drive uh, to ride around a truck all day yeah. right that looks fun to to help people get better from their colds that looks fun to you know give the sacraments and so i think that's part of what it was it was the very visible witness of a priest to a kid And all kids were all, I think, drawn natively to excellence unless we're deformed by lots of bad experiences. I saw this good thing, and I was being told it was a good thing, and I believed it. So that's how the formation led to a wondering whether I was given a priestly vocation from the beginning Hmm. of my time as a Catholic, yeah. All right, well, I feel like we're going to have to
0: pick up the pace here a little bit, because sure, sure. there's more to the story here. So we'll get to that when we come back with more from Dr. Lewis Pearson right here on the Cal Hyman Show on Redeemer Radio. Hey, I'm not sure where you're listening to this, but you can find more episodes just like this show at kylehyman.com or you can subscribe to the podcast in any podcast app or if it's easier for you check out the redeemer radio app it's a free app for your smartphone or tablet and you can download it put it on your phone and listen at any time you can listen live or you can listen to past episodes of not only this show but all of our locally produced shows there's prayers on there there's all kinds of great resources so check out the redeemer radio app in your app store This is Kyle Hyman here with Dr. Lewis Pearson from the University of St. Francis a philosophy department associate professor. He's been sharing some of his journey through Catholicism into maybe we haven't got to an out of. I don't know if there's a, a completely out of and then back to, but before we get to it, yeah, and maybe a little a little summary. Let's do some tribond. If you were listening last time, a phone, a door, a survey are all things you answer. And today's tribon is one that Dr. Pearson made up. It's a soldier, a builder, a bard. So if you know the answer, email show at redeemerradio.com. You can text the Holy Cross College text line 260-436-9598. Again, a soldier, a builder, a bard. Do you think this is going to be easy or hard? I think it's hard.
1: Well, I think you have to be in the right state of mind. Sometimes they seem so easy, like who couldn't get that? Right. But then other times, yeah, I think it's going to be like that. It's either really clear to you or you have no idea. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So brief recap, where yeah. are we at in your journey Well, yeah. So uh, this is why I started with the preface saying, I want to honor my parents because I knew I'd be talking about my family. And I started realizing, I don't know if I can share this link with my family at any point. Oh. <laughs> who knows? Anyway, uh, but basically about how I asked to be baptized when I was five I went to Catholic school and I got formation at Catholic school, but raised by a single mother who wasn't a Christian. Mm-hmm. I never asked her to take me to church. And so I was already living a fragmented life from the very beginning as a Catholic, going through the sacraments of initiation and then getting formation of knowing what I should be doing, but not doing it. Mm-hmm. So this continues through grade school. And then I would go to an all boys preparatory school, Christian brothers high school.
0: Okay. So it's Catholic.
1: A, Yeah, Jean-Baptiste de LaSalle. It's a LaSallian school. Mm -hmm. And then I go to a Catholic undergraduate school, Christian Brothers University. Oh, Catholic school all the way, right? Uh, It's in college that I lose my faith. Mm. At this point, I didn't really have a lot of iron to sharpen my iron. The only people I'd ever met were Catholics, agnostics, and atheists. It's just very blunt instruments against which to sharpen one's understanding and faith. Catholics, agnostics, and atheists. Yeah. Are the Catholics not... Helping you grow in your faith? Uh, it's just to show up, kinda, do your quiz at religion class. It's not a, you know, no one's on fire. No right. one's, yeah. Okay. yeah. Cradle Catholic syndrome. Mm-hmm. Cultural Catholic, yeah, basically, yeah, yeah. is who, the, who I was around. Okay. Yeah. So I get to college, and I just want to know things. Uh-huh. This is where I said I, I really identify with Augustine. who He goes to the Manichees. He goes eventually to the Platonists, and finally to the Christian church because... He just wants to know what's true. What mm-hmm. holds things together? What's the underlying principle of the world? And that was the same thing for me. I, I studied everything I could. I got five undergraduate degrees. I studied seven languages. I would have done more, but I ran out of time and money. Uh, yeah, <laughs> In I, how many
0: years? Well, I, for undergrad. Five for years. Five, five degrees. Uh, Seven I got, languages in five years.
1: Well, the the languages um, are the sixth <laughs> year. So uh, yeah, I earned okay. uh, two hundred and sixty five credit hours in five years. Okay. My biggest semester was I think twenty eight credit hours.
0: <laughs> what is this get into an addictive
1: <laughs> area I, I'm yet? A, I'm a bit OCD. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I just want to know stuff. Uh-huh. Yeah. And I have a high tolerance for this kind of work. Apparently. Yeah. So um, I start learning about like Judaism. And I learned about it during all of my Catholic schooling, but in a sociological way, not in a, this is a, a lived faith kind of a way. And okay. I thought, I want to know and be a good Jew. Uh-huh. Also a good Catholic. Started learning about Hinduism. I want to be a good Hindu too. Learning about Islam. I want to be a good Muslim too. So I just want everything, Okay. Right? A kind of a buffet way that many of us, I think, still approach as consumers. Are you going to pick and choose from each one? Or no, are you no. going to try to incorporate all of all them of into one mega religion? See, I don't realize that you can't do that yet, okay. right? I'm naive at this point. Okay. <laughs> I don't realize if one religion says Christ is three persons, one of them incarnates. Uh-huh. Buddhism can't be true. Islam can't be true. Hinduism can't be true on that fundamental level. Right. I mean, there's a lot of overlap about how to live a good life. Yeah, what the Morals. Granted. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, I'm not yet to the point where I realize mutually exclusive truth claims uh, cannot be held. <laughs> right, right. I don't see that yet. Okay. And so what this means for me as an adult is now I'm gonna be, I'm gonna have not only Catholic guilt, but Hindu guilt and Jewish guilt and Muslim guilt. But, so I'm just wanting all this stuff. I keep adding it to myself. Uh, eventually um, I meet a woman, we enter a romantic relationship, and this is the beginning of my atheism. So I go from a, basically a dabbler, a dilettante in all these religions. I still am not really practicing my faith. Maybe I do Christmas and Easter, mm-hmm. maybe Ash Wednesday or some other things. Uh, I know the Catholic faith is true but I think these other things are also. So I don't feel the threat to the Catholic church, but also because I don't really understand what I'm accepting when I'm taking these other things to myself. Yeah. So part of this is what I see a lot with my students, right? You you see these new things and and they're exciting. One thing to sum up my entire college experience before I become an atheist, Uh I'm in rural Arkansas. My grandma's driving me around in her car. Catholic grandma. Catholic grandma, Uh the one person, uh, before she died, she and I were the only ones who remained in the faith. Okay. The rest of the family has fallen away. We're driving around, and she says, Tell me about your school. And I'm telling about all these different religions. And she says, Well, honey, Jesus always calls you back home. Mm. And I had enough respect. I didn't say it out loud, but I thought to myself, Poor simple grandma. Uh-huh. Of course, grandma was right, you know? Yeah. Uh-huh. But that was college. I'm thinking, Oh, this is all new, and you don't know what you're talking about, grandma. You're just some Arkansas, you know, bumpkin. Yeah. Grandma was right. But I meet this woman, uh, she, she uh, <laughs> That's horrible situations happened to her in the past. I won't go into those, but basically, at least to her, she's a cradle Catholic. She's mm-hmm. an atheist. And um, I had become one along with her. And because of my relationship with her, I started reevaluating everything I had learned in terms of this new lens. Mm-hmm. So the wonders of God's creation and its beauty and its order and its complication aren't telling me about God's mystery and profundity they were going to replace God. So I think, oh, I can explain away life. Mm-hmm. So I don't see it any longer as I used to as a Catholic. Now I think, oh, there is no God. It's just the Big Bang, right? There is no God. It's just neurochemistry and and neurons, et cetera. Uh-huh. So one of my degrees is in biology. Pre-med, but I got into med school. Um, so that's one of them. One of them is mathematics. One of them is in history. So everything I'm learning here, I think I don't need God. I don't need, I, these explain away everything right. that I thought God right. was there for. History shows us Christianity is just the one with the greatest marketing Plan. It was an accident. That's what I'm thinking I'm uh-huh. seeing. So I've become an atheist at this point in my life. And um, it was during this time that I went to Christmas mass with my Christmas Easter girlfriend's cradle Catholic family. Uh-huh. And that was the beginning of the conversion. The conversion happens because after communion, I kneel down and as we're all supposed to, and the priest sits back. And I know it, it's a permissible option to remain kneeling until let us pray, and we stand up for the final prayer and blessing. Uh-huh. And I was kneeling there when everyone, most m- people, were sitting back. And my girlfriend's dad, who was sitting next to me, kind of gave me an Attaboy shoulder punch, and he yeah. said, "You show them who's holy, man." <laughs> not not making fun of me, but like, hey, you go. Yeah. You yeah. show them who's holy. Yeah. And it just arrested me, and I thought, so I'm living the way that Augustine I live the way the culture lives at this point uh-huh. so my relationship to this woman was not um, chaste. just put it that way mm-hmm. and it doesn't bother me too much because I had abandoned my faith at this point right so uh, I'm kind of uneasy with my situation and so the father of this woman that I'm treating as if she's my wife is complimenting me I think this is a whitewashed tomb right <laughs> I'm kneeling next to a woman that I'm treating as a wife and I'm not married to her and I'm getting praise from her father. There's something wrong with this this picture.
0: Okay. I want, I want to hear about what tips the scales here, but we're going to have to take a break. So when we come back, we'll have more from Dr. Lewis Pearson right here on The Kyle Hyman Show on Redeemer Radio. If you're enjoying this, I think you might enjoy the conversation that we had with Dr. Alex Giltner talking about his conversion. That was episode 837. So if you go to kylehyman.com slash show 837, that's show 837, you can find his conversion to Catholicism, which includes some addictions and is a a fascinating story, but also a dream that kind of changed his life. So Check that out. And if there's any other topics or guests that you'd like to find, you can just search for them at kylehyman.com. This is Kyle Hyman here with Dr. Lewis Pearson from the University of St. Francis, Associate Professor of Philosophy. Been sharing his journey in Catholicism. See how I do on the summary here. You asked to be baptized and get put in a Catholic school at age five. You go through Catholic school, grade school, high school, college. And in college is where you start losing your faith. You start thinking that science can explain everything, that there's not a God, that it's just something that people made up to make themselves feel a little bit better. And then you have this moment where your girlfriend's father is complimenting you on your holiness. One thing I was a little curious about is... Does he realize that you and his daughter consider themselves atheists?
1: I don't know whether he did. Okay. Cradle Catholics, they typically don't think in terms of true and false. They uh-huh. think in terms of practice. Okay. And that's another thing I didn't realize until later. The weakness in my catechism in Catholic school was I learned this is what Christians do. This is what the history of the church looks like. So mm-hmm. it was kind of a sociological survey. Look at these people. But there was never theology, like this is a truth claim. This is what I'm saying is true about the world, about God, about human nature. And so you have to say it's true or it's false. You have to say yes or no to it. Uh I never got that. I mean, I may have. To be charitable, I just don't remember that. Okay. And so many creative Catholics are like that. We can go through the rituals and say, the rituals make me Catholic because I'm doing the practice. This is my lived behavior as part of this community. And not realize they're all moored in. Claims about the way things are. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it, it's possible, like you're atheist Jew or atheist Catholic. I mean, right? He, I don't know what he thought about those things for us, but for him, I don't think Catholicism really seemed to be tied to what you believe. It was more about whether you go to Mass. Uh-huh. Yeah.
0: So, him pointing out your holiness when you didn't feel like you were necessarily living now a life of holiness,
1: did that change something in you? Did that it make did. you question things? Well, first of all, it wasn't just that I thought I wasn't living a life of uh-huh. holiness. It, it was. But a lot of times we're not
0: aware of that, right? We convince ourselves that what we're doing is okay. Yeah.
1: So Holy Spirit's still helping me. He Uh, helps me to see. No, I'm sin. I'm sinning. I'm not going to lie about it, even though I don't think there's a God at this point. Okay. Well, uh, it all comes to a head when I had basically a mystical experience. See if I can sum this up because I want to talk about how I come back to the faith after this happens. I have this dream where I'm in a car. I'm in the back seat and someone else is driving. It turns out it's my girlfriend driving. And we come up to this railroad crossing. The bells go off, the crossbars go down, and so we stop. And at the last minute, as the train starts to finally come into the crossing, in my dream, she guns the car and tries to beat the train at the last second. Uh-huh. And so in my dream, I'm screaming, what are you doing? Stop, and uh, we get hit by the train in my dream. And I can't stop her because I'm in the back seat, tied down with all these seat belts. And when we get hit by the train, I still can't describe what it was, but it it was like, I saw my life. I saw stars. I saw, well, the words will will fail. It's it's sort of ineffable. Yeah. But I I realized I wasn't what I was supposed to be. Something was wrong with who I was. And the next moment in the dream, the trains in the distance were on the other side of the tracks as if we had never gotten hit. And I hear her in my dream say, what's wrong? And I look longingly after that train. It's set on the side of a Union Pacific, right? Uh Union with peace. And that's what the trains say in a lot lot of them in the South where I was raised. Right. It's the train company. Yeah. But it was God. God was a freight train in this dream. And I I wake up and apparently I was was screaming and hyperventilating and snot coming out of my nose in the dream. And I wake up and the same thing's happening in real life. My girlfriend is there. And she says, what's wrong? Uh And I wake up and think, oh, it's okay. It's okay. Just a dream. Just a dream. And as I'm calming down, I'm going to tell her things are fine when I watched a lot of TV growing up single mom, basically I stayed in, in the house and the TV raised me. So Price is Right mm-hmm. is in the, the big wheel and the Price is Right. Uh-huh. I see it go down to the dollar. And the moment that happens, I hear something like a voice say, God. And I'm about to say it was just a dream when I stop short. And I realize at that moment, I hear something else that says something like, it's her or me. I really felt like uh, I understood Adam and Eve and the story of the Garden of Eden because of what happened here. God told Adam not to eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Mm -hmm. And then he made Eve. So Eve only knows about it through testimony from her spouse, her head, Adam. Mm. And Eve falls, when what's Adam doing? Right. right? And then Eve asks him, right? And Adam doesn't help. He's a buck passer. He just goes along with her. He turns his back on God for the sake of this woman that he's supposed to be protecting, but he doesn't protect her. He throws her out to the wolves. Mm. And this is what it felt like in that moment. I realized at that moment, given our relationship and how we how I had become an atheist because of her, I could not tell her, I now realize I was wrong and God is real. I couldn't tell her that and have our relationship continue. Mm-hmm. And so I just clamped up at that second and I said, <sighs> it's nothing.
0: Uh-huh.
1: <laughs> and that moment I heard, I, I heard myself tell God, her, not you. Wow. So I'm no longer an atheist, but... I am miserable. Okay. So uh, for the last few months of our relationship before, she, through God's providence, ended it. Mm-hmm. I'm crying almost every day. I know what's true, but I don't want to live that way. Not in front of her. I sometimes in fr- I don't remember exactly, but I remember being miserable uh-huh. because I'm not living the way I'm supposed to live. Eventually, it started coming out that I'm living just an extremely fragmented life. Mm-hmm. I'm with her Saturday night. I wake up and I go to Mass Sunday morning from her place. Just Mm. clearly a problem. Like no one can deny there's a problem now. I can't deny there's a problem. I know there's a God, I'm going to his mass, but this is what I'm doing right beforehand. Right. So she, like God, is gonna be, you know, you you can't live this way. So she ends it, right? What I started realizing after it was I I needed the, the faith and the Catholic church in particular does this in a way that no denomination can ever pretend to. Other denominations never attracted me, never. I needed to be cleaned. I was broken, I was dirty. I mean, philosophers have this bad rap of being just eggy, eggheads and intellectual. No, we're we're embodied and behavior matters. And I needed cleansing, I needed sacraments, I needed the, the bells and the whistles. And I went to mass and what I saw was my dream. I saw the train track, right? And so in the dream, the crossbars for the train that's about to cross the road, the bells going off, tell you, you stop or you're gonna get run over. Mm -hmm. This is real, and you can't stop it. And if you get in its way, it's not going to give. You're going to give. God appeared to me the way he appears to people through history in the only fashion I could understand. As an atheist, I wouldn't have understood. If I saw Jesus in a dream, I'd think, oh, that's a weird dream. I understood only brute force and matter in the world as an atheist. And so he appeared as brute force and ran me over. And when I go to the mass, I see the bells and the smells, and it just... The Holy Spirit, let me see. This means the train's about to come through the station, right? God is here. And the problem for the atheist or the non-Catholic Christian, or even the Catholic who doesn't understand what's happening, is they're like the person in the car that just drives past and thinks, oh, these bells are just social control. They're just to make people regulate how they do their traffic patterns. It doesn't mean anything. There's no such thing as a train. Hmm. And so you can go to a mass and you see all that happening, and not realize, no, you're getting run over. The sacrament of confession and this holy sacrifice of the mass are what just over and over and over started habilitating me. And part of this rehabilitation, right? Our habits, you still think that way. So I remember going back, and at the time uh, it was the vocation director for West Tennessee's diocese. I'd be sitting in mass and I'd revert to my atheist way of thinking looking up at all the murals in the cathedral and thinking, oh, I can explain that away. That looks like the story of Dionysus from ancient Greece, or this is what happened because of what happened in Constantinople. I'm trying to explain it away from, from my knowledge of history. And at these moments, I learned uh, the Holy Spirit talks to me when I'm angry. <laughs> when I'm angry, it means stop spirits speaking to you. And these moments I was uh, trying to explain it away, priest looked straight at me in a cathedral full of people. And he would say things like, the... Resurrection of Jesus is not a psychological aha moment for humankind. If that's all it is, leave, because this is a sham. So he'd be basically calling me out. And afterwards, I'd often go up to him after mass and say, like, did you know you looked at me and you said this? And Uh I don't remember any of that stuff. But the Holy Spirit kept doing that. Every time I'd go back to my old habits, he'd recorrect me and put me in my new rut to to develop this new habit of seeing, this new way of being, because the sacraments were building me up.
0: Hmm. So at what point... Is there like a, a moment where everything changes or is it more of a gradual thing?
1: Well, the moment was, was that dream. Right. Right. But it still, it's, it seemed like to have taken a while. Yeah. The next moment was my first confession back. Okay. And the next moment after that was when I started reading Tolkien and C.S. Lewis because the new Lord of the Rings movie was coming out. Okay. And I'd never read those books. Uh-huh. And the next moment was when I looked up- Did you up, read them because there's Catholic content in there? My like friends are big uh, Dungeons and Dragons nerds. Okay. So I read it because of that. and so I wanted was just, Fun
0: fiction, not for the Catholicism.
1: Uh, Well, it it starts to mix, right? So um, I guess the full story would be two hours, but (laughs) uh, it it starts to mix. But I start Googling like how to be a saint and I find Peter Crave's work. I start Googling Mm -hmm. these things because I'm taking it seriously. And so it's a moment, it's a moment, it's a moment. And I remember almost all of them uh, where something happened to me or I realized something and I started cooperating with that grace the final moments are when I go to get my graduate work done at Baylor, a Baptist institution, where the second biggest population after Baptists are Catholics. Right. And I'm surrounded by super smart Christians, Church Christers, Presbyterians, Baptists, who ask me things like, why do you think Mary's perpetually virgin?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I think, well, because she is. <laughs> like, what? that's the answer. Why? <laughs> what kind of question is this? Aren't you also a Christian? Why don't you get it? And so I started really getting my iron sharpened by other iron in graduate school by these Christians, it was true ecumenism. It wasn't, well, you're kind of got some truth and I got some kind of truth, so let's leave each other alone. No, it was, you're a brother or sister in Christ and you're missing something vital. I need to talk to you. Mm-hmm. That's what I got. Mm-hmm. The woman I eventually met who would become my wife, she was a big help. I mean, the thing she said to me on a number of occasions was, you know, you can't think that and be Catholic. Uh-huh. And my response back then would be, I just did it. <laughs> sure I can, right? And slowly realizing, no, no, she's right. And she's an adult convert. It was all of these influences, a number of priests, just a handful I can think of and point to that they helped me to see over and over. These are little things that I needed to fix, and it's why the mass and confession on a regular basis, like any regimen of diet or, or exercise, you just need it to get stronger and stronger and see what you had wrong before. And so what happens is when I develop this new family in the church, it gives me the support I didn't have before to then help reach out to my my biological family, and then raise them up. Mm. And so my mother, who, when I was discerning a priestly vocation, said, oh, you don't want to give me grandkids or those priests are nothing but weirdo, celibate pervert, weird, you know, just Mm -hmm. had these problems. But it was really about the family. Why don't you want to give me grandchildren? And now she has seven and counting. Uh. And she says, why do you, you need to stop, is what she says now. But um, (laughs) what happens is I have a father who says, you're my moral role model which is disturbing, but also complimentary. I have mm-hmm. a mother who I'm giving what she wanted. She got this family. And I'm having people who, through our witness, I think are seeing the truth of God's church and through our prayers and are just being family are getting the joy that I now have because I'm getting it through the church.
0: So you've mentioned St. Augustine's confessions multiple times. Anything else that you would recommend as something for either somebody listening that feels in a similar situation where they're
1: that's the wrong question to ask me because i've got dozens right (laughs) i assign dozens of books every semester so i'll just for the sake of simplicity Uh say uh confessions just stick to that it is it's not only the story of augustine but he tells the story of his mother right Mm -hmm. saint monica who prayed for him to convert for most of his life and he didn't convert until he was like in his 30s or something yeah that book is so rich and Try not to, I'd I'd suggest the Hackett publication version of it. It's the cheapest. I think it's the best translation. It's Frank Sheed's translation with Michael Foley's revisions and notes. Okay. Uh, Those notes really help when you don't know what's happening. And try not to get discouraged by all the scripture. What's happening is like when we have our favorite movies and we quote our movies to our friends, it's like inside jokes but those movies come and go and who knows what those movies mean in 10 years, right? Hmm. You've ghettoized your ability to make jokes with people because no one watches those movies anymore. Mm -hmm. But if you make scripture, your inside joke. (laughs) So what what Augustine does is he conforms his mind to scripture. And so every other word is a scripture quote, but he's using it as his way of telling his own story. So it becomes clear, not only to him as he's writing, I'm sure he wants to give God the glory, not himself. This story is about God, really, it's Hmm. about all the junk that we pile up for ourselves, thinking it's going to make us happy, now he takes all that junk and turns it into a chalice that we can drink from in his church. Mm-hmm. And Augustine is doing that with his life in the confessions. So if you need to read one, read that. If you need to read two, read it again. <laughs> okay. Thank you so much, Dr. Lewis Pearson, for joining
0: us, for sharing a little bit of your journey. as it's a great story and uh, it's just great to hear how god has worked through your life and your family your beautiful family so thanks for sharing
1: thanks kyle